It's good to see everyone gathered in tonight. And just as others are joining, we'll maybe begin with a time of congregational singing. Tonight we have hymn number 281. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. We'll just remain seated and hopefully our good singing will encourage others to join us as we go along. M304, we are never, never weary of the grand old song.
M339 is our next one. Oh, what a wonderful, wonderful day. Day I will never forget. I wonder tonight, even as we gather in, I wonder, have you had a day like that in your life? Is there a day in your life that you will never forget? The day that the Lord Jesus came into your life. I trust tonight God will speak to your heart. If he hasn't already, I trust that God will speak to you. And today will be that day that you never forget. The day that Jesus came and saved you. begin our meeting tonight by singing the hymn 239. Your singing has encouraged others, so we thank you for that. But we'll begin our meeting tonight by singing the hymn number 239, Precious, Precious Blood of Jesus. And when we get the note, we'll stand to our feet this time, please.
It's your turn now, verse 4. We'll have all the men, please.
That's great singing, a great way to commence our meeting tonight. But just as we have sang, we're now going to commit tonight's meeting to the Lord in prayer. We're going to ask one of our committee members, Mr. Ivor Buick, if he'll come and open our meeting in prayer, please. Let's all pray. Our gracious God and Father in heaven, we come humbly before you tonight in the Saviour's name. And we thank you for the words that we've been singing, precious, precious blood of Jesus. And we thank you for that line in the verse that said, the price has been paid. And we thank you, Lord, we come to the one tonight who has made the ultimate sacrifice. You sent your only begotten Son into this world. He went to the cross. He died. He took upon himself the sins of many. And for that, he paid the ultimate price. And tonight we can come as a people washed in the precious blood of the Lamb. We thank you, Lord, for uh, the gathering here tonight. We thank you for another opportunity of coming and bringing the gospel to the people in Ballymoney. We thank you for the open door here in Dalry Adam. We thank you, Father, that we're met here tonight as a band of your people to come and bring the gospel to sinners. We thank you, Lord. For the past two nights of the mission, we just come before you tonight, Lord, and we bring every aspect of this meeting before you. We pray for Pastor Bowles as he comes to sing, Lord, we pray you'll fill him with the power of the Holy Ghost. We pray, Father, the words that he has to sing to us, Lord, will uplift the Saviour, Lord, and bring a message in the Gospel. Pray especially, Father, tonight for Reverend Park, who'll handle thy word. There's no more important message than the message of the cross and the message of the Gospel. So, Father, we just pray that you'll fill Reverend Park with the power of the Holy Ghost and we pray Lord as he comes tonight and as he preaches the word of God Lord that uh, there'll be sinners in this meeting Lord will come and put their faith and trust and we pray for a real sense Lord of your spirit tonight we save us Lord from going through the motions save us Lord for just coming to Dalriada to go in a night and to go out just the way we come back in but Father make this a special night May this be a night, Lord, that the people will talk about. May this be a night, Lord, that some poor soul tonight will come and put their faith and trust in ye. Lord, we were thinking of that hymn earlier, but be in time, be in time, while the voice of Jesus calls us, be in time. And Father, we've been brought uh, again, Lord, today. We heard the the, the tragic news of of a person, Lord, who has been uh, ushered into eternity, Lord. And we just, we we know the, the, the... suddenness of this lord and we just know that anybody in this meeting tonight this could be their final night we don't know what's ahead for tomorrow so father we just pray in that aspect for the wallace family we pray you'll draw near onto them tonight we pray you'll just be everything that they need and help them to deal and you'll be with them lord in the next few days uh, at this sudden passing lord of a loved one so father again we leave the aspect of this meeting before you we pray now you'll close us in with yourself cover this place with the precious blood tonight and be with us now for it's nine name we ask it. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Ivor. We're singing well, so we're going to continue with another hymn. I heard an old, old story. Um, well, again, once we get the note, we'll stand to our feet, please.
I have to say, in my short years that I was here, I've never heard singing like that. In this hall, O Dariadenland, just did not sound the same as what those good old gospel hymns sound tonight. It is a joy tonight to welcome a good friend and brother in the Lord, the Reverend, or Pastor Philip Bowles, I should say. He is no stranger to us, and we do welcome him tonight as he comes and ministers to us in song. In the clear 
shadows a dry thirsty land He hideth my life in the depths of His love and covers me there with His
so strong His grace everlasting Just won't let you go His unending mercy A fountain of hope Do you know the Savior? Let me introduce He 
I thank our brother for those wonderful messages and song, and we trust that the Lord will bless them even to your heart as they did mine. We welcome you tonight to uh, what is the Tuesday night meeting of our gospel mission. It's good to see everyone who has come, some maybe for the first time, some who are back again, but nonetheless, uh, you're all warmly invited, or all warmly welcome to our mission tonight. And even to those who may be joining us on Sermon Audio or Facebook or YouTube or whatever means, and we do welcome you also. The mission continues each night at 8 p.m. Monday to Friday, and of course then our Sabbath day service is here in the evening at 7 p.m. Prayer time is half an hour before the services. Uh, I do believe there's been a little bit of confusion. Some people are heading this way, some people are heading this way. It was originally to be in the library, but I think it's been closed or locked this past couple of times, so If you come down to the bottom of the corridor, turn right and try that door first. If there's nobody there, well, you'll be in the library. So it'll be usually probably, I would say, uh, the the room just at the bottom of the corridor at the right-hand side. Singers at the mission tomorrow night, we have uh, the Word of Truth. Thursday night, the Hebron Choir return again. And then Friday night, we have the Reverend and Mrs. Marcus Leggy coming with to the mission. There is uh, no offering lifted uh, during the week. However, if you do want to give an offering towards uh, the expenses of the mission, uh, there will be baskets at the door as you feel led. You'll be glad to know those are all the announcements for tonight. I'm even more glad to know that that's all the announcements. Uh, So we're going to sing again uh, 325 uh, just before Pastor Bowles comes again and sings one more piece and then the Reverend Park uh, brings the message to us tonight.
We're going to ask our brother if he'll come and sing his final piece in song, and then immediately after that, uh, the Reverend David Park will come and minister to us tonight. Do continue to pray uh, for our dear brother as he preaches each evening. Uh, There's no uh, easy task to prepare each and every night a new gospel message. So you do pray for him, take him upon your heart, and continue to pray for him each and every day as he comes and preaches to us. Thank you very much, Pastor, for coming tonight. You, you kind of got a demotion being called Reverend. But some of the great Baptist preachers in the past, they, they did take the title Reverend, uh, like the great C.H. Spurgeon, so he was the greatest of all Baptist preachers. Uh, good to be here. I add my own words of welcome to that of Brian's. We're glad to see each and every one tonight. 
Let's read the scriptures as we turn to Genesis chapter 4. You remember the school's ministry with a fantastic time this morning. It was the first one of this term going out to Dervick to the William Pinkerton Memorial Primary School. That was quite a mouthful. But uh, lovely to see the kids uh, interacting and the, the staff of the school as well entering into what we were doing as we taught the Word of God to them. So pray that the entrance of God's Word will give light even to the children. Now let's read from verse 1 of Genesis chapter 4. And Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tellest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and from thy face shall I be hid. And I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth, and it shall come to pass that every one that findeth me shall slay me. And the Lord said unto him, Therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived in bare Enoch, and he built a city and called the name of that city after the name of his son Enoch. Let's bow together in prayer, just a wee word before we come to the message tonight. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your precious word. Thank you for the mission tonight, for all who have gathered in. We believe by divine appointment 
The Lord does not do anything by mistake. He does not bring us together for no reason. But we are here in the plan, in the will of God, to listen to your word as it has been sung and now preached. And we do pray for the work of the Spirit. I come to thee with my weakness. I am nothing. I am nobody. I realize that. Without thee we can do nothing. But Lord, we come to the one who gives his ministers a fire in their soul and the Spirit of God for their anointing. And we do pray at this very moment that the Spirit of the living God will will fall afresh upon us and that you will enable us to preach the gospel to the glory of God and to the saving of those who know not Christ. Hear this our prayer for Jesus' sake. Amen. It's the words of verse 13. And this cry that leaves the lips of Cain that I want to leave with you tonight. My punishment is greater than I can bear. And I put a title on this message, Cain, a cry fitting off a lost soul. Two young men, brothers, brought up in the same family, in exactly the same circumstances, enjoying the same blessings, privileges, and benefits of their upbringing, knowing all about the fall of their parents and the sin from their original state, knowing all about the entrance of sin into the world, knowing about their separation from God, their spiritual depravity, knowing how to find peace with God, the means of reconciliation, what they must do to find acceptance with the Lord, how to satisfy him, in short, knowing the way, the truth, and the life. And yet one accepts the right way, whilst the other rejects it. One turns to God in faith, while the other turns his back upon God. One takes the prescribed way that the Lord had set out, and the other follows his own way. One is blessed, the other is cursed. One dies having obtained mercy, and the other He dies in his sin. One goes to heaven and the other to hell. It's always very sad when that happens in a family, isn't it? Nothing sadder in a home, I think, than to have a family that's divided, separated. Some who know the Lord and and some who don't. And yet it was so right from the beginning, from the very first family in this earth. Cain knew what God required. He was taught of of God. He was taught by his parents what God required. But when the time came, he offered the fruit of the ground. That was not the right way. That was not God's way. It was an unacceptable offering offered with an unacceptable spirit. But even then, God was merciful. God was gracious. He reasons with Cain. He, He tries to convince him of his sin And he gave him an opportunity to do well. And that's what we read there in verse 7. If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. So life and blessing, death and the curse was set before him. And the Lord was saying here, Cain, if you do well, like your brother, you will find favor in my sight. If you repent and reform your life, and you bring the acceptable offering, well then you will be accepted, and your sin will be pardoned. But if you do not well, 
and you persist in your sin and you fail to humble yourself before God and you harden your heart against me, sin lies at the door. In other words, the judgment for sin is right there on the doorstep. So God spelt it out in very clear terms. If sin was not put away, sin would be punished. But Cain forsook the right way. His heart was filled with resentment and hatred. And instead of doing what God required, he went out and he murdered his brother in cold blood. One day, as they were walking in the field together, I assume they often did that as brothers. Out they went, Abel suspecting nothing, that there was no harm, there was no danger in the path. Yet his brother Cain rose against him and murdered him. There was no reason for Cain to hate his brother. Abel was his brother, his mother's son, close to him, united to him in the flesh. Maybe even a twin. Some of the great expositors of the scripture suggest that these young men were were twins and you'll not get a closer relationship in family ties than that. He was one that should have been loved and protected by his older brother. His younger brother, Abel, never harmed Cain in any way. And God had taught what he should do. But he didn't do it. And what was the outcome? The outcome was punishment. He's cursed. Look at what we read in verses 11 and 12. And now thou art cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tellest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. God passed a sentence, a terrible judgment upon this rebellious young man. He is cursed by the Almighty. God separated him to evil, placed him under the wrath of God. Now, he didn't die immediately. God could have caused a thunderbolt to come out of the sky and to strike Cain down there and then. He could have snuffed out the breath of his life in a moment, taking his life by a stroke or a heart attack. But no, God decided that his punishment would begin on the earth. That all would not go well with him. The ground, for example, is cursed from the earth, as we read in verse 11 and also what we read in verse 12. Now there's two blessings that this earth can give man. And both of these are denied to Cain. One is sustenance and the other is settlement. One is sustenance, the earth bringing forth her strength, supplying food. Cain would now become a tiller of the ground and the soil would be unfruitful to him. The other is settlement. He would never settle in one place comfortably. He would be a fugitive and a vagabond, a continual reproach among men, an outcast to society, hated of men. He who hated his brother is now going to be hated by others. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And this divine sentence caused Cain to cry out. The cry from the very depths of his soul. My punishment is greater than I can bear. He complains that this sentence is too hard, too severe. 
Now the sentence may have seemed harsh and stern to Cain, and yet in reality there was mercy. He was well treated because God did not send him to hell immediately. Cain's punishment was immediately temporal here upon the earth, but ultimately, finally, it would be eternal. There was an everlasting sentence passed upon this ungodly man. He never amended his ways. He never repented of his sin. He never made restitution before God. He never came to acknowledge his need of a savior. And consequently he died in his sin. And he went out into a lost eternity. Now the cry of Cain in our text was a temporal cry. Speaking of an earthly punishment. But nothing compared to his cry tonight. Just think about that. You're going to be a fugitive. You're going to be a vagabond in, in this earth. And that very thought of, of the punishment of God coming upon this man here in the world caused him to cry out, my punishment is greater than I can bear. But can you imagine these thousands of years later, probably 6,000 years later, the cry that he's crying tonight in a lost eternity? As he lifts his voice, then in all likelihood he, he's saying something like this. My punishment is greater than I can bear. In an even truer sense, this cry is applicable to you tonight who are not saved. There is no doubt that the cry of Cain is a representation of a sinner's cry in a lost eternity. If we could just somehow pull back the lid of, of hell and we could look in and we could listen to what is being said or what is being cried by those that are lost in their sin. I'm sure among all the cries in a lost eternity, this cry is ascending up. My punishment is greater than I can bear. And I want to look at this tonight because it is a, a, a cry that is fitting of a lost soul. And just a few simple thoughts that I want to leave with you. I want to say first of all, as you, as you look at this text, that there is a divine punishment Cain talks about my punishment. It was a just sentence passed by a holy and a righteous God. And the sinner today has a sentence that is passed upon him by a holy and a righteous God. One of the texts that we quoted last Lord's Day evening was the soul that sinneth that shall die. That's the declaration of God. That's the punishment that God has decreed upon those who die in their sin. The soul that sinneth that shall die. The great apostle Paul said, Who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power? The apostle Peter said, The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. And one day God is going to administer the punishment that sinners deserve. And this punishment is real. Don't think for one moment you're going to evade it and avoid it. It's absolutely real. And let me say that this punishment is also right. Cain seemed to have a, a problem about his punishment. He, he didn't think it was right. He thought he was being treated harshly and severely and drastically and extremely. He thought that God was punishing him more than he deserved. But my friends, when God takes a sinner 
and cast them into hell forevermore. I want to tell you tonight, it's right. Man never has seen his sin for what it really is. And man feels that he doesn't deserve the punishment. And he wants to be dealt with leniently. And that's so in every walk of life, in every part of society, in home situations. Those of you that are parents tonight, you will know that your children don't think that the punishment is right that you administer in the home. And it's the same in school, though the punishments have been taken away by and large uh, from schools. And that's what's wrong with society today. And out there in society, men do not think that they should be punished harshly. The wicked, the hell-inspired thinking has rubbed off upon our thinking. It really has. Many years ago, it is many years ago, for I was a minister in Olden Broad at the time, very young minister, and I came home for a gospel mission. Reverend Gray, who was with you last night, myself, were conducting meetings in a tent in a little village called, or a little hamlet called Annamore. So you know that's not far from your work, or maybe Annamore is where, where you work. And uh, these tent meetings were going on night by night. I dropped my wife Susan off with my sister that evening at the other side of Loch Gall. And we conducted the meeting as usual, went through the service, came to the end, were standing at the door shaking hands with the people as they left. And in the distance, not too far in the distance, we could hear shooting. And then there was an explosion. Then there was more shooting. And so we, we, we got packed up. I went to collect Susan at the other side of Loch Gall, but I couldn't get through the village. It was all sealed off. And so we got out of the car and went up, and the policemen were able to tell us that just there that night, seven IRA men had been killed. They had come to blow up the police station, you see. They had come to kill policemen. But you know, there was an outcry. That that was a severe punishment. Imagine killing those people who were coming to kill policemen. Because people don't see that, that judgment and punishment is something that should be administered in a correct way. I can remember a number of years ago, there was a break-in to an old man's house. This man had come to rob and to steal and maybe even to kill. And the old man had a shotgun and he raised his shotgun and threatened the man, but the man wouldn't go away and he shot him. He didn't... He didn't he didn't kill him, he just wounded him. The old man ended up in court. There's a man broke into his home to do damage. And yet the innocent man is the one that goes to court. Why? Because people don't want to be punished for the wrongdoings. Men think that God is hard in his judgments. Men think that they know better than God. The law on human rights knows better, don't they? What do you think human rights, the human rights court would, would uh, rule on God's verdict of 1 Samuel chapter 15? And the opening verses tell us about the wickedness of, of Amalek and the punishment that was to be meted out upon him. His sins were so great before God and the sins of his people they had raised on the high heaven and God was sending his people and his army in to, to eradicate those people. Samuel, we read in verse 1, also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts. I remember that when Amal what Amalek did to Israel, 
how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep and camel and ass. Just a total wipeout. You know the courts of the human rights would say today that this is wrong. But it was God's judgment. Whether we see that or not, it doesn't matter. It's right. It's correct. And when God punishes sinners in the flames of a lost eternity and souls sink into the eternal misery and despair of that place, we must write across that divine sentence, right. It's absolutely right. It's just Oh, I know the cults of today will will say it's not right and they deny eternal punishment. And modernistic preachers will deny it and they'll say God will never do that. And sinful men deceived by the devil will contradict what God has said. But I want you to know tonight as we look at this text that there is a punishment. And one day you'll be able to say it's my punishment if you die in your sin and you're lost forever. The second little point that I want to make is this punishment is unbearable. This is the cry that Cain had that left his heart, that left his lips. My punishment is greater than I can bear. And I have suggested that he's crying out all the more tonight in a lost sinner's hell. His lament might be well taken up by every damned soul in the caverns of the damned. Who can fathom the punishment of a lost soul? And why is that punishment unbearable? Well, because of its severity. You ever think of the severity of the punishment? There is no doubt that Cain's punishment and his estimation was severe, but nothing compared to the severity of his punishment now. What is that punishment, that severe punishment in hell? Well, think about the severity of its suffering. I cannot begin to calculate or compute what the awful suffering of hell must be like. I can only imagine it, try to imagine it, by the descriptions given to me in God's holy word. What it must be for a soul to die without the mercy of God. I read the infallible descriptions of God's book and I tremble. What does God say? How does God describe this this fearful place? Well, Jesus calls it, Outer darkness. A place where men shall weep and wail and gnash their teeth for all eternity. He called it a furnace of fire. He talked about the soul and the body being destroyed in this place. He told a story which I believe is real, was actual history of a rich man in Luke chapter 16. A rich man that that died and was buried and in hell lifted up his eyes, being in torments, surrounded, engulfed, if you like, by the flames of a lost eternity and crying out as a result. John the Baptist called it unquenchable fire. The Apostle Paul, he talked about sorer punishment. Peter said it was the perdition of ungodly men. And Jude speaks about the blackness of darkness forever. And the beloved John. Oh yes, the disciple of love. When it comes to the last book of the Bible. He calls it the lake of fire. And I ponder these these graphic descriptions. And I can just 
visualize, albeit feebly, what it must be like, the severity of its suffering. And then I think about the severity of its separation. As a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth, Cain was separated from other people. Going out into the land of Nod, as we're told, he was separated from his family, from his mother, from his brothers and sisters. But the worst separation of all was being separated from God. Never a time that I read what we read there in verse 16, the opening part of it, that I tremble at what it says. Because we're told that Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. Awful as it was to leave his family and to be separated from them, what must it have been to be separated from God? The punishment of hell is all this and more. Separation from all that is good. Separated from others. Separated from family. Separated from God. I tell you, it is severe. And when you think about it, Think about the the inescapability of this punishment. You can't avoid it. You can't escape it. Jesus asked the question, how shall ye escape the damnation of hell? It wasn't a rhetorical question, really, because the, the answer is, well, you can't escape. And Paul, writing to the Hebrews, he took up the very same thought when he asked, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? When the verdict is given and the sentence is passed and the blessed Lord Jesus Christ, he says to the unconverted in that day, depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And the sinner is thrust down into hell. There is no place to flee or to escape. There's no escape route opened. Most of you have heard about Colditz. Colditz Castle was transformed into a fortified prison during the Second World War. It towered above the rest of the land about 250 feet. And so the Germans, the Nazis, took that place and they made it into a prison and they boasted no one would ever be able to escape from Colditz. And yet we know that 32 soldiers did escape from it. Bringing you up to date a wee bit more. The Mayes Prison. Fortified, modern prison. And yet people escaped. I think it's actually 40 years ago this month when that escape took place and well over 30 people got out. From the fortified prisons of this world, men have escaped. And we've heard of the man just there a few weeks ago. He got out of prison lying under the van and or the lorry and, and escaping, though he was caught and apprehended and put back into prison, but still. There's no escape from the prison house of hell. You can't escape it. The inescapability of it. You think of the eternity of it. Our Savior spoke about a place of everlasting punishment. Describing the flames of hell, he said, it's everlasting fire. Paul said that the ungodly would be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. And John was brought to view a place where there's no rest, day or night. You want to think about that. Day after day, night after night, week after week, month after month, 
year after year, decade after decade, century after century, millennial after millennial, no rest, day or night. Even after millions and millions of years, hell will still just be beginning. It's eternity. It is forever. And although there's no time in eternity, we can only try to imagine uh, what hell is like as far as its duration by putting some kind of time upon it. Millions, billions, trillions of years. It's eternity. And I think when you think about the, the inescapability and the eternity of this place, then you're beginning to understand something of the severity of the punishment. And you can put in the finality there as well. When a soul is cast into the fiery furnace of hell, it's final. And written across the gates of hell are the words, no going back. How awful is the news when when the doctor in medical terms will say to a patient, there's nothing I can do, nothing more that I can do. And my friends, when a soul goes out into eternity without the Lord, yes, it's forever, but it's final. And there's nothing more can be done for that soul. They are there forever and ever and ever. But there's one other thought. And it is this. There is a way of escape. Only one way of escape from this punishment. For Cain, there was no escape. For sinners who are now lost in hell this very night, there is no escape. But praise God for sinners in this meeting or listening in on the internet and those that live around us, there is a way of escape. There's a way back to God from the dark paths of sin. There's a door that's opened that all may go in. It's at Calvary's cross. It's where we begin when we come as sinners to Jesus. And of course, this leads us to the Savior. We come into the world to take away our sin. Leads us to the substitute, the one that took our place and stood in our stead. Leads us to the sacrifice. For there upon the cross of Calvary, Jesus Christ, God's Lamb, was sacrificed for our sin. And I want to tell you about one who bore the punishment yonder upon the cross of Calvary on our behalf. One who died for us. One who suffered for us. One endured, who endured the cross for us. And his name is Jesus. Oh, how he loves the sinner. And yes, I can put it personally tonight. Oh, how he loves you. And this is the way of escape. This is the way of salvation. Hell in all its severity and eternity was born by the Lord Jesus Christ at Calvary. All the suffering and anguish, all the pain, all the the weight and the guilt of my sin, all the, the torment that I deserved, all the turmoil of a lost sinner's hell born by Christ. That unspeakable separation which is due the sinner was experienced by our Lord when he hung there at the cross. When he cried that cry from the depths of his soul, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And the Father forsook the Son there at the cross of Calvary so that you wouldn't be forsaken forever by God if you come and put your faith and trust in him. In my place... Condemned he stood. 
He sealed my pardon with his blood. And I know tonight every believer can say, Hallelujah, what a Savior. And I pray tonight, dear sinner, that you will get to that place where you will say, Hallelujah, what a Savior, because this Savior is mine. When you come to take him as your Savior, when you flee the punishment, the wrath to come, when you get to Christ, the only escape, the only refuge, I pray that you will at this mission time. Not tomorrow night, not the next night. You don't know what will happen tomorrow, but tonight. While your breath in your body and the Spirit of God is speaking, come to Christ. Let's pray. Oh God, we're so thankful that Jesus bore it all. We deserved your wrath, your punishment, a punishment that would be so great that we would cry out like Cain, it's more than I can bear. And sinners would cry that for eternity. No leasing of the or lessening of the, the punishment and the, the suffering. Lord, we're so glad that Jesus went to the cross and took that punishment for us. May sinners realize that. May they realize the awfulness of their sin. May they realize that they do deserve punishment. Don't let them be fooled by the devil or by any man into thinking that God will not punish them. But Lord, let this be a wake-up call. May they come to see that the word of God is right, is true. And what God has said in his word will come to pass. Lord, may they see Christ, the refuge for sinners. Glad for that day when I came to trust in thee. And we know the believers feel that way tonight. We look back to a moment when the Holy Spirit entered. We were born of God. Our sins were dealt with forever. And we're glad we can say we'll never be in hell. For Jesus Christ has borne all our sin. Lord, speak on. While the voice of man is silent, speak on in the heart. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Out of Christ without a Savior, oh, can it, can it be? Like a ship without a rudder in a wild and stormy sea. Oh, to be without a Savior, with no hope, no refuge nigh. Can it be, O oh, blessed Savior, one without thee dares to die? This is our closing hymn. As we sometimes say, are you daring to die without the Lord? Are you daring this very night in the mission? To go on in life, to go on towards death, drifting towards the grave, going out into eternity? Without Christ, don't be so foolish. Come to him. That's why we're here. No other reason. And if we can help you, we're here. Please stay and seek Christ.
You need Christ tonight. It's not the preacher that can save you. It's not the elders of the church. It's not the church that can save you. It's Christ you need. And you can just lift your heart where you are and just cry, Lord, save me. Come into my heart. Come into my life. Take my sin away and forgive me. Have mercy upon me. And he will. If we can help you, we're here. There's a wee room we can go into and talk to you. We can open up the scriptures and show you the way of salvation. If you need any more help, but don't go away without the Lord. Seek him. Heavenly Father, bless your word and glorify Christ as a result of our coming together here this evening into Dalriata. Bless young and old that are here. Search out every heart. And may each one come to that full realization of sins forgiven. A knowledge that it's well, it is well with my soul. And that they're ready for eternity. Prepared for heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen.